how do you fix digestion on the ketogenic diet? On this episode, I interview Matt Gallant and Wade Lightheart from Bioptimizers. Mind has these little hypnotic episodes where you kind of lull yourself into submission. And what happens? The biological survival mechanism that is built into all of us is that more food is better because food deprivation was the number one cause of death of humans, just famine, not having food. So if you could store body fat, this is a survival mechanism. And it's not in the modern world. We flipped the script in 100 years because of food production and distribution and the, and the rapidly available of calories all the time, plus the nonstop programming in the audio and visual and walking down the street. Like I notice the difference of how many food cravings I might have if I'm in the country versus if I'm in the city because I'm unconsciously, my RS is picking up, you know, have this chocolate bar, have this ice cream, have this chip. Mm-hmm. If I'm out in the country in the desert, I don't feel that the same way. And I've actually seen that, that don't underestimate the power of hypnotization of advertising. Mm-hmm. And so the reality is, is you have to be aware of your environment and you have to be aware of yourself and what is the patterns? How do you slip into those spaces where you'll break those things? But when Grayland's high, I find there's an increase amount of those things. There's an increase in my rationalizations for more calories. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, I am super pumped to talk all about your gut. This is a serious gut check because let's face it, one of the most common symptoms on a ketogenic carnivore approach when you're eating more fat, eating more protein, is the inefficiency in breaking down that protein. And we are going to have a masterclass on the digestive system today with the founders of Bioptimizers, Matt Gallant and Wade Lightheart. If you remember, Wade Lightheart was on the Keto Camp Podcast, episode 164, where we talked all about the number one reason why people feel like crap on keto, which is sluggish bile. We do talk about bile today, and we get into such much more detail. Matt Gallant, his business partner, breaks down the four stages of fat adaptation. We get into the keto flu, carb cycling, why we both, all, we, all three of us, align on keto flexing, aka carb cycling, we get into resetting your leptin levels. The three issues with being in ketosis for too long, the sex hormone binding globulin goes up, the T4 to T3 conversion in your thyroid begins to dysfunction, and you might develop leptin resistance. So we talk about that. Then we talk about ghrelin, that hunger hormone. How do you deal with it during a fast? How to do keto without a gallbladder breaking your fast as a male versus a female, 
the importance of having less food selection, the mitochondria, magnesium, and so much more. So before I bring them on the show, I want to thank you. I want to let you know that this is going to be one of the best episodes you've ever heard before on any podcast. So make sure you're present, make sure you grab a pen and paper, and make sure you take down a lot of notes. And if you want to watch the video interview of this episode, you could watch that over at youtube.com slash ketocamp. Our KetoCamp YouTube channel has over 112,000 subscribers, and I record all interviews and post it on there, so you could go watch that interview after you listen to it here. I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. A five-star review from Danny Masters titled, These Are Great. I've only just found this podcast channel, and it has helped me so much. I didn't know about grapeseed oil being so bad for fat loss. I've been using it for years, throwing it away now. Can't wait to learn more about fasting with keto, Danny Masters. Danny, thank you so much. I am so grateful you discovered the Keto Camp Podcast, and you are correct. Grapeseed oil is one of those unstable fats that actually can increase cellular membrane inflammation, preventing your fat-burning hormones from doing their job. So good job. Kudos to you for throwing them out and switching more to a healthier option like avocado oil, olive oil, grass-fed ghee, butter, lard, duck fat. These are much stable fats that your body and cells can use for energy. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and a review yet on Apple Podcast, please take the minute to do so right now. Just simply pause this episode, head to that part on your phone to leave a rating and review. And leave an honest rating and review. It really helps the show grow. It is the lifeline, the oxygen for podcast shows. And when you leave that rating and review, take a screenshot of it and send that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com with your shipping address in the United States. And I will sign a paperback copy of my best-selling fasting book and mail it to you as a thank you for leaving that honest rating and a review. I have an exciting new online program that I just launched. It's called the Keto Camp Membership. With your Keto Camp Membership, you'll get access to over 50 videos teaching you keto, intermittent fasting, and other areas of health. You're also going to get access to a private Facebook group, exclusive live stream Q&As with me, a monthly newsletter with some of my favorite keto biohacks. You'll get digital downloads for a keto smoothie recipe, my best-selling fasting book, my best-selling sleep book. You're going to get a grocery shopping list, my Keto Camp Blueprint, which is an aisle by aisle instruction for keto, how to get clean keto foods and stay away from the dirty keto foods. There's vegan meal plans for keto. There's regular meal plans for keto. And you'll get all of this, which is valued at over $2,580. You'll get all of this for guess what? One monthly payment of $5. That's right. It's not a joke. That's the actual price of the program. $5 per month, canceling time, you can get access to the Keto Camp membership. I encourage you to go to www.startketocamp.com. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. www.startketocamp.com and get access for $5. Start burning fat, get coaching, get assistance, and I want to see you in the Keto Camp membership. We'll put a link for this as well in the podcast notes. Can't wait to see you in there and help you burn some fat. I want to briefly 
take a break here and let you know about my favorite coffee in the world. Look, I'm a coffee snob for good reasons because the right coffee source can be healing to the body, can reduce inflammation and result in weight loss. The wrong coffee beans could actually increase inflammation, cause weight loss resistance and sabotage your keto results. There was a recent study in the Canadian Journal of Physiology and Pharmacology that showed caffeine intake from coffee beans could actually increase fatty acid production and help the participants produce more ketones. Most coffee beans are loaded with pesticides and contaminants and even molt. This is why I love my friends over at Purity Coffee. Hands down the best coffee beans I have ever tried. I have my delicious cup of Purity Coffee in the morning with some grass-fed ghee and MCT oil, and it turns my brain right on and helps my body produce ketones. Purity Coffee is organic, pesticide-free. These beans are specialty grade, and you could get this coffee shipped straight to your door in nitrogen-flushed bags, roastery fresh. Since you are a listener to the Keto Camp Podcast, we have worked out an exclusive coupon code for you to check out Purity Coffee. Head over to www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use Keto Camp at checkout to get 10% off your order. Again, that is www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout for 10% off your bag of coffee beans. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. All right, let's geek out, learn all about the digestive system and how to master your digestive system on keto. I'm grateful to bring on two incredible thought leaders in the world of health and nutrition, keto and fasting, Matt Gallant and Wade Lightheart. Wade Lightheart, if you remember listening to episode 164 with Wade, is a three-time Canadian national all-natural building champion who competed as a vegetarian, former Mr. Universe competitor, host of the Awesome Health podcast, Wade Lightheart, is one of the world's premier authorities on natural nutrition and training methods. Having majored in sports science at the University of New Brunswick, he has authored numerous books on health, nutrition, and exercise, which have sold in over 80 countries. Along with Wade, we have his business partner, Matt Gallant. Matt Gallant is an entrepreneur, a poker champion, an ex-rock guitarist, a serial entrepreneur who's built 13 companies in the last 20 years, a strength and conditioning coach with a degree in kinesiology, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Bioptimizers. So without further ado, let's welcome Matt and Wade. What's up, guys? Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, we're going to jam out on keto so good. So, Wade, you shared your story with my audience last time. Now it's Matt's turn to share your story. I know you got into keto 26, 27 plus years ago. So tell us the story, Matt. I actually thought about it two weeks ago or to kind of be as precise as possible. It's been 28 because I came home from school one day and my uncle told me I was fat and I was chubby. So I decided to lose the excess body fat. So I, I started keto. I found Atkins and I started jogging and I did that for six months. And I went from like 190 to 147. That was like my first experience with it. Then I got bit by the bodybuilding bug about a year later, I was 16 and discovered the anabolic diet by Moro Di Pasquale. So then I used cyclical keto. I went from 147 to 235 
naturally just training twice a day and doing huge carb refeeds on the weekend and all the fun stuff. And, you know, totally, to be totally honest, there was a ton of mistakes that happened back then just because we didn't know what we know now. So it's been great to see the evolution of keto and the research and guys like you bringing the refinements because I think when you really want to optimize your diet, you have to look at the details because they make a huge impact. Well said. And you have a, you broke it down before I heard you on a podcast, really what you broke it down so well, which was the four stages of fat adaptation. Can you outline those for my audience? Sure. Yeah. So of course, I think almost everyone's familiar with the first one, which is the keto flu phase. And, you know, of course, what's happening when you start keto is your body's not efficient at breaking down fats and utilizing ketones for energy. So during that adaptation phase, you just don't really have energy. And sometimes you got symptoms, which a couple of good hacks for that. One is to take exogenous ketones. I'm not a huge fan of taking exogenous ketones only during the most hardcore brain training, which we can talk about, or in the very beginning, because you're giving your body some ketones until it figures out how to do them itself. So does that kind of that, that does that kind of prime the pump? Is that what you're saying? Well, you're giving your body straight up ketones, right? Your body's not efficient at utilizing the fat from food or body fat to turn them into ketones the first two weeks. And that's why it can be rough. But the, the cool thing is, if you've gone through that once, it seems that people only need to go through that once in their life. I know people that you know, went through that and then maybe three years later did another keto cycle and had no flu symptoms the second time. I've seen that over and over again. The second phase is again around the two week mark. And this is when you start feeling good, right? You start to feel the, the energy from ketones, your brain's sharp, and you start to really reap the, the rewards and the benefits. And that lasts about three months. And, and I, at this cycle, I usually tell people, listen, it's the right time to really cut carbs, boost your fats, right? Eat, you know, again, you got you to consume a lot of fat because you really want to force your body to become efficient and effective and burn fat for fuel. And, and there's lipolytic pathways and there's glycolytic pathways, meaning that if you become efficient at using fat for energy, there's a bunch of enzymatic pathways to turn the fats into fatty acids and then utilize the fatty acids for fuel. And the same thing is true for carbs. And when we talk about, and I know you're a fan of this, uh, we talk about being flexible. We want to keep both pathways strong because what seems to happen, for example, with carbs, which leads to the third phase, is if you don't start carb cycling, your glycolytic pathways get weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and we see that um, a lot of times when people get out of keto, they've been keto say, three, six months, and they decide, okay, I'm, I'm done. Sometimes their blood glucose is out of control in the beginning. You know, There's all kinds of things that can happen if people go from keto to just eating a bunch of carbs, which I wouldn't recommend. But in phase three, which is, again, let's just say the three-month mark, I recommend people, listen, start doing some carb refeeds. You know, chart, And there's a lot of ways you can do cyclical keto. We can talk about the different ways. But that, to me, is critical. There's a lot of things that seem to happen when we stay on keto too long without carb cycling. One of them is SHBG hormones seem to get elevated, which lowers free testosterone, which is not a good thing for a man. Uh, thyroid issues can happen, right? 
muscle loss. Like, okay, we know we know uh, ketones are protein sparing and, and anti-catabolic, right? But it seems that if you do carb refeeds, you lose less muscle tissue. And we know that carb refeeds are, again, anabolic because you're getting insulin. You're getting, again, if you're eating high-protein amino acids. The other thing I tell people um, during this third phase is, listen, you can start cutting fats because you have taught your body how to use fat for fuel. So you can go from 70, 75. We can go down to 60. We can go down to 50. One of my old coaches, I mean, he would get shredded for, for bodybuilding shows doing keto. And what he would be doing is just cutting the, you know, going from fatty cuts to less fatty cuts to less fatty cuts. His protein would stay the same, which is really critical from a bodybuilding perspective, whether it's gaining muscle mass or getting shredded. But he would be cutting his calories from fat and he never had any issues. And, and that's a big distinction because in the beginning, if you eat too much protein, you might convert some of that protein to glucose depending on your, your, your genetics, right? So in the beginning, force the body, again, 70, 77% fat is, is a good range. But then we can start bumping up protein, which has significant effects, right? One is that if I replace, let's say you were eating the same amount of calories, right? but you replace some of the fat calories with protein calories, well, your net calories out is different because of the thermic loss coming from protein, not to mention the anabolic effects of protein turnover or the prevention of muscle loss. And you know, when you've done the research on people in calorie deficits and looked at muscle loss, the group with the, the maximum amount of protein lost the least, which is huge because Let's say you get a DEXA scan, right? Let's say you do the math and you've got 30, 40, let's say 40 pounds of body fat that you want to lose to get to where your goal is. Well, if you're losing, let's say, let's use an extreme example. Half of that, let's say half of your weight loss is body fat, half is muscle tissue. You'd have to lose 80 pounds to, to lose that 40 pounds of fat. Of course, it's not what we want. And that's one of the big things that Wade and I focus on with our clients is, hey, listen, we want to prevent muscle loss at all costs. We want to keep the metabolism as high as possible because when that starvation survival mechanism kicks in, people are screwed. And, and I've gone through that many times. One of the key mistakes that you know we've, most of us have gone through if you've lost a lot of body fat during a short period of time. We can talk about that. But those are a lot of the key considerations in that third phase, which typically lasts about nine months. And then there's a fourth phase, which you know anybody who's been on keto for a very long time, in my opinion, enters. And at that point, there's a few things that happen. One is your exercise performance is almost as good as it was on carbs. And we can, there are, and this is a key point, if you're a power athlete or professional athlete, you want to be operating on carbs, you know, and, and the research has proven that e even if you, let's say, go on keto and you're, you carb load for a competition, which is something some people do. I'm not talking bodybuilding, I'm talking sports performance. Even after a few days of entering carbs, and this goes back to the glycolytic pathway conversation, the performance is not the same. You know, the, there's research that has shown that. But you start getting pretty close to your peak. 
That's one thing that happens. The second thing that happens is you hold on to more glucose in the muscle. And then I think that's part of, you know, if you do these refeeds, I just noticed that I don't get as flat and as dehydrated as I did. And there's some hacks that we do for that as well. Namely, using, you know, quarter teaspoon of cream of tartar mm. with half a teaspoon of Himalayan salt or sea salt in two liters of water because you can easily get dehydrated on keto, even if you're pounding four or five liters of water a day because you're not holding on to the water as much. So that's one hack. But I just noticed that I don't lose as much glycogen as I, as I used to. And one thing that was really interesting, we've been running experiments. We're coming out with a, a blood sugar breakthrough products, the name of it, blood sugar breakthrough, which by the way, has benefits for people on keto. So as I was running the test, I ran the test for 10 days, we were testing a variety of formulas, and I never ran this test before, which I was running ketone tests every day along with glucose tests, I was pricking my finger 10 times a day. And even on the 10th day of eating 250 to 300 grams of carbs a day, my ketones were still 0.5, which was kind of a shocking revelation because I always thought if I start eating carbs, my ketones are going to go away. But that's just where I'm at. And I knew that if I did two-day carb refeeds, which I do these days um, because of wanting to reset leptin, that on Mondays, I'm always in ketosis. But I'd never run the ketone test doing 10 days of two, 300 grams of carbs. So that's kind of that fort phase. Um, but I'll, I'll stop here and let you ask questions. Yeah. Do you want to piggyback off that weight or anything to add to that before I ask some more questions from that? No, I think that was thorough enough that we want to maybe unpack some yeah. of the nuances. Yeah, totally. So, okay, you said a few things there. Oh, I have a clarity question, a clarifying question. When you said you had 250 grams to 300 grams of carbs per day, you were taking that new supplement that you're formulating. That That's what you were saying? You were actually taking that supplement? I was, yeah. We were testing okay. five different variations of the formula. And if you didn't take that supplement, your ketones wouldn't – did you test to see if the ketones would show up? No, see, I haven't run the test. So I'm not I'm not crediting the Got blood it. sugar breakthrough for the ketones. What I'm saying okay. is I'm so fat adapted that it seems that even when I'm eating carbs, my body's still creating ketones. Got it. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of the way that I – share with people you know you know you've done it the right way and you've built up that metabolic machinery when you've done the work you went through those four stages that you outlined very well and then you have your flex i call it a keto flex day but it's a refeed day it's the same thing and then by the next day you're right back into ketosis that's the flexibility that we want and that's what i have accomplished so I, i'm able to do that as well because i put in the work my clarifying questions as well that i want to unpack with you is three things you mentioned when you are in ketosis for too long there are uh, three problems that occur the thyroid. So from my understanding, the thyroid, T4, which is the inactive form, needs to be converted to T3, which is the active form. And what helps make that conversion is glucose and insulin. So if we have chronically low glucose and insulin, that conversion malfunctions. Is that what you were referring to or is there anything else there? No, I think that's the mechanism. Okay. And then the second thing is you said you've seen higher sex hormone binding globulin when you're in ketosis for too long. I didn't know about that. Could you share more about that? Again, we don't know the mechanism. Just being exposed to a lot of data sets of a lot of people in keto. I mean, we're data fanatics, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that just seems to be something that happens. Yeah, it just seems to. Again, I, there's no research on this. This is, I would say, 
an agglomeration of a lot of anecdotal evidence, you know, so there's, I don't have research and I don't understand the mechanism, but it does seem to happen. I, I have a theory around that. And um, I think we're very confident about how amino acids have various transcription aspects relative to cellular metabolism and things like that. Well, I believe, and that there is some evidence that seems to, to indicate that, that both fats and carbohydrates may be, if you can think of them as information packets that result in the activation of various pathways. We know there's glycolytic pathways, we know there's lipolytic pathways, we know there's proteolytic pathways, and then the corollary enzymes that are involved in making those transactions. And so I think as we get further down the road, 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to actually discover that the array of amino acids or fats or carbohydrates are very much like the dials on the old synthesizers. Remember those things? Yeah, totally. And that plays a certain signal. So rather than thinking, I think one of the consequences of the scientific method is to try and test things in isolation as opposed to look at the symphony of the factors that give you the results that you want. Mm. And so, for example, music is a great example. The musical chords are well established, but we can continue to make all sorts of different types of music based on how you arrange them in a song. Ah, well said. I love that analogy. Okay, got it. And then the third thing was leptin, resetting leptin. Could you expand upon that? Yeah. So again, you know, and and as a trainer, I was a trainer for uh, a long time. I I kind of love working with people who had a lot of weight to lose and Again, uh, being again the chubby kid, and I, I've lost a lot of different weight, a lot of different times. You know, I've gone through that that yo-yoing, and one of the biggest things that I realized the last time I made the mistake of dieting too hard, too fast, which made me hungry for two years. I was getting ready to get married. I had lost about thirty pounds over the prior two years, just kind of slowly losing body fat building muscle tissue, getting in shape. But, you know, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to lose another 10 for the wedding. So I think it was like eight weeks left and, you know, started doing sprints in the jungles of Panama. I live in Panama, cutting calories aggressively, like doing all the stuff that now I wouldn't do. And I lost the weight, looked great. And then, like I said, I was hungry for two years. Like it didn't matter. And it was like this and I regained, I think, 25 or 30 pounds. And that was a key lesson. It was like, you know what? I did it again. I activated that survival mechanism that happens when you lose. Either you lose weight too fast, you don't do diet breaks or reverse diet your way. There's, there's a few ways we can trigger this, this survival starvation mechanism. But that was such a key lesson. And then since that point, I, I don't do that anymore. I mean, and, and Wade and I've really been perfecting a bunch of new ways of doing this. And this is really kind of the, where the bleeding edge of weight loss is, is, well, you got to manage that because as soon as your body becomes threatened, that it, they, that it might starve, it does many things. One of them is increased ghrelin. That's where the hunger doesn't stop, right? And there's, there's many cases, including Stephanie Buttermore, who's kind of cataloged her whole journey on YouTube of someone who got too lean, stayed there too long, and was hungry and would eat 5,000 calories a day. And she's a, she was a 120-pound woman, and, and there was no satiation. 
that's what I experienced. It was, it was a horrible experience. So the leptin is, is critical. And that, that's why we're such big fans. And it seems based on the research that two day refeeds are ideal and are optimal. So if you're in a deficit, right. And you're losing body fat, refeeding for two days will help reset leptin two days out of out of the week or two days out of the month two days out of the week that's what i do these days now you still need a calorie deficit now there's another benefit which is a slightly different principle but very relevant which is if you go into a surplus for two days and we wade just did a crazy experiment with some dexa which you can share because the the result was mind-blowing if you refeed for two days you will regain a lot of lost muscle tissue, which is huge, right? Going back to what's our goal. We want to be losing body fat and preserving or even ideally building a bit of lean muscle mass. Well, wait, maybe share your recent three-week extreme experiment and then what happened on the refeed with the muscle tissue. It was totally mind-blowing. One of the things that I've been doing is alternate day fasting. I'm one of these people that's relatively blessed uh, when it comes to blood sugar metabolism. I've been a plant-based guy for a long period of time. And so if we do a homo IR test, I'm at a (laughs) 0.4. That's where I I offer it. So most people are trying to get there on a ketogenic diet and, and I'm a carbivore. So that's unique to my metabolism. But one of the things that I have been doing for 20 years, and kudos for Dave Asprey releasing his book on uh, fasting. I've been fasting for 20 years and systematically experimenting with short fast, medium fast, and long day fast. Up to 10 days is my length, is the, is the farthest one. I haven't gone to the 40-day fast. It is on my list of one day to do one day, but I, it, it, that obviously is super intense did you do a 10 10 day water fast it was just water and sea yeah, salt, salt. Oh, okay. yeah. oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah 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 10 day water fasts and and did a bunch check- of variations within it some of them times taking you know 100 mass times a day to accelerate the results because i believe the effects of fasting is that it frees up enzymatic activity that allows you to do all these other things that your body never gets to because it's spending so much time digesting food that's a whole other topic what i have experimented with and i did this oh, let me t- let me tell you the fail first because you know you you have to fail forward so i engaged in alternate day fasting 12 hours of eating followed by 36 hours of fasting and i repeated that three times a week with the weekends off in my first round i did that for, i think it was for 13 weeks uh recently as a rapid weight loss experiment, I got 12, in great shape. The 12 hours of eating, how many meals did you have within those 12 hours? It didn't matter. You know, it was just whatever. I, okay. I made no regulatory components on top okay. of that in that experiment. No caloric reforms, just fasting, eating. Now, as I got near the end of that cycle, what I started to note in my journal is that I wanted more and more calories per day. And I was starting to go off what my normal dietary requirements are. You know, I'd be sitting there going, you know, I think I want to go have some pizza on a Wednesday afternoon. This is not something I normally think on any level. Pizza with my friends on a Saturday night sometime at a pizza parlor because we're celebrating, sure. Thinking about pizza on a Wednesday, 
not usually it. Or thinking about chocolate or thinking about guzzling down 32 kombuchas. You know, no, not that but you, you get the idea, right? Jeez. But the bottom line is, so I realized, so I came off that diet. I got in great shape and, and couldn't stop the eating. And, I, and I've been through this when I would do extensive contest diets. When you, when you, and every bodybuilder can attest to this. If you go into extreme calorie restrictions for 12, 16, 20 weeks, my worst case scenario was 11 months, which led to the, the, the foundation of forming this company <laughs> 17 years ago. But you have a rebound effect, and it's devastating. You literally just screw up everything else in, in, in your body. Your hormones go off, and your appetite is, un, is unstoppable. And that's what I began to experience again. And I recognized what was happening this time. So I said, okay, I've let my metabolism I've, I've, I've sus- push this down too long. I'm going to let myself come out of it, which I did. Gained back all the weight and a little bit more and got fat. And then I'm like, okay, well, but I felt better again. I, I could tell I stopped the food cravings because that's what he's talking about. The, the, the Graylin leptin response, like, okay, I didn't have the food cravings anymore. So I knew my metabolism had kind of corrected and now I could get engaged in a systematic approach. So again, then I started fasting on a, on a 21-day cycle. So we'll do that same experiment for 21 days. At day 16, I had achieved 90% of the results I got in 20 days. In other words, I only lost a little bit more. But I began to notice the appetite gremlin coming back on that process, right? Just what Matt described. They're, oh, now I want more and more and more calories, right? Came off it. And then went through another refeed period. So I came back and I lost a little bit of weight. So okay, let's do a two-week period, right? <laughs> and that's, so we, we did a two-week and stuff. But here was the result. By doing these offsetting, I was able to lose, I think it came out to, how many pounds? It was almost 10 pounds of pure body fat in a three-week period. Wow. Yeah. But here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah. Guess how many pounds of lean body mass I put on? And I'm not even going to say it. I'll let Matt share it to confirm because I showed him it. And, and just to be clear, this was, I see, weight dieted for three weeks, loss of 10-ish pounds of body fat, and then started eating again. And what we're talking about on this, this uh, lean body mass gain, this was the difference from before he started, which was an extra 3.4 pounds. So he he gained on the refeed 3.4 pounds higher than before he started wow. the cut, right. which is crazy. And, and right? I, I'm almost 50, I'm getting close to 50 years old. I'm on no testosterone replacement. You know, I just train with weights on the top of my gym, nothing sophisticated, nothing. I, as a bodybuilder, as an athlete with a background in that industry my whole life, I've never seen anything like that. And so now we're continuing to run these experiments because we don't know. But what we do feel is there is some aspect of the glycogen loading up into the tissue, super hydrating in a super compensatory method, which turns on anabolic triggers inside the body that we don't yet understand. And why I believe that is because I was under Scott Abel years ago, and he was famous for doing the zigzag, these giant refeeds where people were in calorie restriction, they get to super physiological, like single-digit body fats, go on calorie restriction throughout the week of about 1,000 calories a day, and then spike 
anywhere from 10 to 30,000 calories in a day, if you can believe that. And he said, hormonally, in a 24-hour period, your body couldn't adjust to storing it as body fat, and then he'd go back down. I've done those things. I don't necessarily recommend it because you get like some, like my biggest weight gain swim was 18 pounds in a day. Uh, <laughs> 18 pounds up, and at the end of the week was two pounds down from my weight that I started the, for the refeed and leaner again. But that's the bodybuilding performance world. And there is a certain a, a corollary of health consequences to this. So what you want is you want the aesthetics that you're looking for. You want the performance you're looking for, but you also want to do it by improving your health, not sacrificing health. And we actually have that as our, our parameters in, the, in the, our philosophy of bioptimizers. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidized. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is Pure lifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. Yeah, you know what you did and what Wade and Matt are talking about here is that delicate balance that act between mTOR, the mechanistic targeted rapamycin, the anabolic growth, versus the autophagy, the cellular repair. So I always tell people, I love fasting. I love keto, but too much of a good thing ends up being a bad thing. So that's why I, I'm writing the book, The Keto Flex, to balance that out with mTOR because mTOR and spurts can be so healing. And you kind of did that. You did that exactly with your study. So that's what we're talking about here. Go ahead, Matt. No, I'm so happy to hear you say that. And, and we've got a book coming out in, in three weeks uh, called The Biological Optimization Blueprint. And, I, and we talk about that in the book. And, and I think that it's so easy for people, and, and, I, and I understand because I'm wired this way, which is, oh, if it's a good thing, more has to be better. However, with the body, we know that more is not always better. You know, poison is the dose. And I think even with autophagy, you can just go too catabolic too long. I think you want to balance anabolism with autophagy, right? Cycle between mTOR and AMPK, which is what we do with the fasting. And just to share kind of the keto variation and what we talked about, I do the same thing when I want to cut 
And then on the days that I eat during the week, which is two days, right? Because I'm, I'm not eating Monday. Tuesday, I'll eat keto three meals a day. Wednesday, I don't eat. Thursday, I'll eat keto three meals a day. And then Friday, I don't eat. And then Saturday and Sunday, it's a refeed with a slight calorie surplus. So it's great for lifestyle because on the weekends, I can you know eat pretty much whatever I want. And then... I just do keto two days a week and I don't eat for three days out. Yeah. You know, the key thing is again, you got to pay attention to the cues of the starvation mechanism kicking in. We highlighted one of them, which is the ghrelin. Some other cues include body temperature dropping. That's a big one. I'll notice it again. Like, then everybody that shows up differently, but my feet will start getting cold, stuff like that. Strength dropping in the gym. Like if your reps and strength just start, dropping 10 20 percent in a week and then you just you're just getting weaker and weaker that's another big signal because you're just going catabolic at that point so there's a bunch of other things but those are some of the key ones as far as biofeedback and it's so important as you you want to optimize your diet whether it's keto or whatever it is paying attention to the biofeedback paying attention to hard data as much as you can right blood work over ring, whatever you, you get access to. And then doing experiments, right? We, we're, we're huge on assess, test, and optimize. That's the biological optimization process. So you assess where you're at, you test different things, whether it's changing the food, changing your supplements, changing your training, and then you optimize, right? You, you look at the data and then you learn from it. So that is kind of one of the key differences in our approach. And as a company, both with information and products, this is where we want to help the whole industry evolve because you're trying to be dogmatic with things leads to problems because everybody's genetics are different. And I think, you know, Wade and I are great examples of that. Wade thrives on plants. I thrive on keto and it shows up in our nutrigenomics, which we're big fans of as well. If you can get someone to look at your nutrigenomics, look at your mutations and tell you some key things, you know, can make all the difference in the world in terms of, okay, well, I'm going to be deficient in that. Or, you know, I'll give you just one example. So with coconut oil, again, I live in Panama, a lot of coconut oil down here. I was pounding coconut oil and my triglycerides were just through the roof. So I just get, got rid of that and my triglycerides dropped. I have to look at the data, but I think like 70%. Wow. How high did it, did it go? Almost 300. <laughs> and then I got below 100. So, you know, and of course, the calorie surplus is a big part of that, right? I mean, calorie surplus or deficiency will affect triglycerides massively. But some people that advised me on health told me, you don't have the genetics for coconut oils. You know, cut that out. And I did. So... Anyways, we could talk, but I don't want to get lost in nutrigenomics because it's an endless rabbit hole. But that's a big deal. And in terms of really optimizing your diet and supplementation is critical. And, and back to one of the key points of today's conversation, you can hack the problems with supplements. That's one of the values, right? And having put hundreds of people on keto over the last couple of decades, I noticed that there were some common problems. One of them was just digesting fats. A lot of people either can't produce the bile or the lipase they need to actually break down 
fat and it shows up either in their, in their stools or they don't feel well or they're constipated or they've got diarrhea. Even people switching sometimes from keto to carnivore will get some of those symptoms, right? Rogan talked about it. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon. And this is where Capex, you know, the, the design of Capex started by looking at that problem and then say, okay, well, let's, of course, let's put lipase in there. We've got four lipases. And one of the things that happens with enzymes, and we built mass the same way, is that they get activated at different pH levels. And the pH level changes from the stomach to the small intestine and so on and so forth. So we have four different lipases, you know, we have three different proteases and they get activated at different pH levels. So the food is just continuing to get broken down as it's going from stomach to the five stages of digestion, which I'm sure we talked about in the first podcast. He did. So bile is the next thing which stimulates, sorry, the, you know, bile is, bile has acids. Now the acids break down the fats and helps absorb the fat. Now, sometimes some people's bile production is compromised. And the lipase is a hack, right? Because the lipase does something very similar to what bile does. So by, again, if you struggle with bile, then lipase is one of the hacks. But ideally, you can stimulate your own production of bile, which that's why we put dandelion root extract, because it does that. And of course, HCL, which is an acid. So that's the basic kind of fundamental digestive design. And, you know, we have this three-phase fr- framework called nutrification. F- phase one is consumption. You want to eat good food, good quality food, uh, organic if possible, right? Phase two is the breakdown, the conversion of proteins into amino acids, fats into lipase, and carbohydrates into glycogen, you know, carbs. So then the third phase, which is just as critical, is the assimilation, right? Where we're either converting the fatty acids into energy or building blocks. Amino acids usually as building blocks and then carbohydrates as fuels. So that's why we added things like L-carnitine to transport the fats, the fatty acids into the mitochondria, into the liver, But then the last piece is to make the mitochondria stronger because they are the ones really assimilating, right, creating ATP. So we stimulate the mitochondria with CoQ10, with InnoSlim. We activate a few liver enzymes, 7-keto DHEA. So that's the entire design of the product is not just the breakdown, but it's the breakdown, the transport, and then the utilization of, of the nutrients. So that's what Capex does. Yeah, I, I love the the science and the method behind it. It's, it's such a well-researched product uh, that I personally use and I endorse. And we'll put a link for it with the coupon code as well. The coupon code is KetoCamp by Optimizers.com. Uh, I want to ask Wade a question. Before I do, I want to just unpack a couple things that you shared, Matt, which um, going back to some cues to pay attention to. I love that you have that. Uh, you said ghrelin. Ghrelin. Now, Ghrelin is a hormone. All hormones are postatile, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to experience hunger from time to time. And I tell people that all the time. So when is it an issue when you are experiencing too much ghrelin? At, at what point should you pay attention to? Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about the biggest benefit. And I've, and I've rarely heard anybody talk about this, if ever. The biggest benefit 
and the reason why intermittent fasting is so magical for weight loss. I'm not saying there's not health benefits to fasting and autophagy, but again, calories in, calories out matter. We can't defy the laws of thermodynamics. So there's no magical metabolic activity that happens with fasting based on what we've seen in, in the labs and the research. However, there is some one thing that is huge and magical, which your body pumps out ghrelin an hour before your typical meal time is, which makes sense, right? So let's say you were used to having breakfast at 9 a.m. At 8 a.m., you're going to get a spike of ghrelin. This is very well researched, which tells your body you start getting hungry and it prepares you to eat, right? Now, what happens after three to five days of, let's say, not eating breakfast is that ghrelin spike is gone. And what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of that is it's easier to cut calories. Because what makes everybody break and ultimately fail with any diet is hunger, hunger, cravings, whatever you want to call it. And that's really what we're talking about. So on an acute level is fine. And, you know, when you're dieting, you're going to be facing some hunger. In a lot of ways, what makes every diet work for people is that they're able to manage hunger. Because if it gets unmanageable, if it gets like eight, nine, 10 on, on a scale of 10, your willpower gets worn out at some point. And you're just, you know, most people just quit. You know, and we can talk about the neurochemistry of quitting, but it's, it's a whole other story. So, that that's what happens. So it's kind of like a chronic elevation of ghrelin and the ghrelin is getting more intense. So again, like being a three or a four on the hunger scale is I think manageable for most people. But when it starts getting seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, and it's not really dropping, that's a big issue. And I'll, I'll notice it, you know, when, when I'm like, okay, I've been dieting too hard or too long. I start struggling to maintain a calorie deficit. That's kind of one way I look at it personally. I'm like, and I'm tracking calories. And let's say my goal was 2,500 calories, but my body wants 3,000. Like, you know what I mean? Like I've eaten 2,500 and I'm still hungry. That's kind of what I'm starting to pay attention to in terms of biofeedback. And again, I'm looking at my calories. I'm like, okay, my body wants more food here. What's going on? So that that's what I look at. Wade, what do you pay attention to? Or how does that show up for you when uh, the ghrelin gremlins show up? Well, well, two things. I think people need to determine the difference between physiological hunger and psychological yeah. hunger. Most people's hunger is psychological. And the benefits of fasting or ketogenic diets is you start to be able to clearly discern the difference between the two. And I think that's a a critical component, like I, everybody in the Western world says, you know, I'm starving, I gotta eat. No, you're not starving, you, you, you know? And I think there is a benefit to go through those hunger phases that initial happens on a, on a restricted diet or a calorie diet or a ketogenic diet or fasting because you go the difference. For me, I always like, you know, I did so many research, I, I began to always correlate my feelings with my data sets. Right. So when we do testing, I'm going with journal. I'm not as data driven as say Matt is. I'm more feel driven. Like, how do I feel? What's my sense? Because, and that was what I learned before all the data was available for us as a body when I was, you know, being trained under Scott Abel. So that's a big aspect. But what I notice is I can tell when my, when I'm 
out of control hunger when I cannot maintain the calorie set point that I've set for myself. In other words, I'm not able to exert enough willpower or I go what I call unconscious. Okay. And what I mean by unconscious is, is like, I know that my calorie set, I'm following it in my little tracker or whatever. And then one day I decide that I don't need the tracker anymore. Right. I don't need to monitor this. And I, I go three days or four days without tracking it. And then I go step on the scale and I go, well, I'm following my diet, but my weight's three pounds up. What's going on? And then, you know, sooner or later I go back and I go, I'm cheating. So I, what I noticed is the mind has these little hypnotic episodes where you kind of lull yourself into submission. And what happens? The biological survival mechanism that is built into all of us is that more food is better because food deprivation was the number one cause of death of humans, just famine, not having food. So if you could store body fat, this is a survival mechanism. And it's not in the modern world. We flipped the script in 100 years because of food production and distribution and the, and the rapidly available of calories all the time, plus the nonstop programming in the audio and visual and walking down the street. Like I notice the difference of how many food cravings I might have if I'm in the country versus if I'm in the city, because I'm unconsciously, my RS is picking up, you know, have this chocolate bar, have this ice cream, have this chip. Mm -hmm. If I'm out in the country in the desert, I don't feel that the same way. And I've actually seen that, that don't underestimate the power of hypnotization of advertising. Mm -hmm. And so the reality is, is you have to be aware of your environment and you have to be aware of yourself and what is the patterns? How do you slip into those spaces where you'll break those things? But when Grayland's high, I find there's an increase amount of those things. There's an increase in my rationalizations for more calories. Mm. Well said. Oh, man, this is so interesting. All right, I want to transition now to um, I get the question asked all the time, and I want Wade to unpack this. Can I follow keto? without a gallbladder. So could you just explain the, the rule between the liver and the gallbladder and bile and how you're able to do it on keto? Well, I, I can't say any medical conditions because I'm not a medical doctor. I need to qualify yeah, that. We're not but saying that. Funny enough, I do know people who are able to do it because uh, we get a lot of questions about it, for example, that come in and there's a various things. I think if you're going to attempt a ketogenic diet, um, particularly without a gallbladder, I would get yourself some medical advice on that, a naturopathic doctor, an endocrinologist and stuff like that, because you could get yourself into a lot of trouble if you mess that up. If you're going to do that, you are going to need a way to break down your fats and you're going to need to probably supplement with what I would say high dosages of lipase-based enzymes because your liver manufactures almost all of your enzymes and those are stored either in the pancreas or inside the gallbladder, gallbladder particularly fats. And you'll, you know, we probably know lots of people who have had their gallbladders out, right? Half my family members on one side of the family have had their gallbladders out. Yeah, so common. And one of, I think, the biggest inflammatory agents, um, I was just on a call with Dr. Ted Achicoso yesterday, who's like a super genius. He's going to like you around 200 and he does all this stuff. And it's something that people don't understand is the buildup of metabolites in a cellular level and the damage that they do. 
So every nasty thing that you eat. So when you go to the deep fat fryers and, and eat the trans fatty acids, where does the damage going to happen? It's going to damage somewhere in your digestive canal, either in your liver, your gallbladder, these sort of things, or there's going to be an exhaustion of those things. If you're you know, a high calcium-based diet, you can build up calcification in the liver and the gallbladder, which impairs enzymatic function. So if, you, if your gallbladder has gone down, you have to accept the fact that you did that, okay? You, you need to own that and recognize that you need to adjust and clean out whatever the damage was, whatever metabolites are lying around in those organs that need to be cleaned out before you're going to be successful in attempting that. So some people put, they, they want to go on a diet because it's sexy or it's popular or it's cool or they heard someone that they, they love or respect that has done this and had success. But I cannot believe how dogmatic people are be about something. And also how they might not understand the nuances. They might, you know, listen to this podcast and say, oh, you know, we're just going to do this and do this and we, we got it all figured out. But no, the devil is in the details. The devil's in the nuances. And this is where you need to have specific advisors who can give you unbiased feedback to correlate with your own biofeedback. So for the most part, as a general rule, I would say first identify what caused your gallbladder to go out in the first place address that issue second, and if possible, through supplementation and expert advice, it is possible. We do know people who are doing it and reporting this, but be cautious. Well said. Well said. Okay. So, um, Alvisa, who her name is Jules, she's saying, wow, wait, that, that is a wide range, free, exciting experiment. Pizza on Wednesday sounds great. Any thoughts on this? On this? Is it male specific, your experiment? Well, yeah, I am a male, so, <laughs> you know, so, so and you have to keep in mind, these are N1 experiments, and I'm a big proponent of N1 experiments because the only thing that matters really or the only thing that you control is your own health. However, you right. can extrapolate, and, and clinical studies never account, or like clinical, no, excuse me, clinical experience, in my opinion, trumps double-blind studies because double-blind studies never address the genetic component that may be involved. You never see that about the variance in genetics on that. For your friend here, I would say this. We have noticed a tendency that females tend to do better if they break their fasts in the morning and men do better if they break their fasts later in the day. So the hormonal requirements for women are on a faster cycle and a different cycle. And there's a book, and I forget the name of it, and I, I would encourage this lady to check it out. Sure. Yeah, It shows the hormone peaks and cycles that a woman has, and it's cross-correlation with brain chemistry and hormone regulation, and how that can affect your moods, your productivity, and also your ability to maintain a diet. So I would say there are times when it's correlate it with males and there's going to be time which is going to be in opposition and so with that you want to get someone you know like we have a lady that does all that sort of stuff and that's what we've noticed when she's been engaging this for females they tend to much quicker get into the grayland monsters than men do one more quick comment too on fasting which is not gender related but people and there, there's a gene set for this uh people with mediterranean genetics tend to not do well fasting. And, and I have clients like that. And when they fast, their HRV crashes, 
their heart rate goes up. Like, you know, I get the opposite response, right? Again, Caucasians usually have great genetics for fasting because we had to live long, hard winters of not having vegetation, whereas as Mediterranean genetics, which again, we're getting to the nutrigenomic rabbit hole, don't. So that's one more consideration when it comes to fasting and the amount of it. I, I think everybody benefits from a little bit of fasting, but it's one of those things where for some people, more is not going to definitely be better. Yeah, and it's really finding that balance, mTOR versus autophagy, and it's unique to the person and their hormones and their unique situation. So well said. Uh, Jules also is saying, um, <laughs> listening and thinking, will one of your guests please paint a picture of the variation in their eating styles over the week? So maybe Matt could do that with your two keto flex days that I call it. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of give you I eat the same thing, which is another great strategy, by the way, for anybody listening is we're big believers and less food selection is much better for a whole bunch of reasons. One, you're making less decisions. Two, there's less cravings. And this is well researched and, and more compliance. Again, you, I'm not talking eat the same thing every day. But I'm, instead of having 40 different meals you're rotating from, maybe you have 12, right? Or, or nine or 10. But on the keto days, um, wake up and I'll have a um, kind of next level bulletproof coffee with a lot of different herbs and nutropics. And I take all my fat soluble, and this is a huge uh, hack or, or tip, if you will, power move, as we call it. Take all your fat soluble vitamins and supplements with, you know, bulletproof coffee. Just take everything in one shot because the absorption is just so much greater. I mean, if you look at the CBD research, 8x more absorption if you take it with fats or a fatty meal, right? Compared to just taking it straight up. So great time to do all that. Then for lunch, usually eggs and butter. And then dinner, I usually wild, wild salmon and steak. So that's, that's a keto day. And on, on the weekends, I love the monster mash. I love Stan Efferding. He's, he's a genius from the bodybuilding world, created that called the vertical diet. And he's got this thing called the Monster Mash, which is white rice, bone broth, and then usually some form of ground beef, and then a lot of spices. And then lunch, usually I get ready for the training, so I'll have a super shake, and we're coming out with uh, some some meal replacements. So that with the enzymes, everything, and and I, and I like sipping on an intro workout shake where I'm drinking amino acids, glucose, vitamins, minerals, electrolytes as I'm lifting. I think. Uh, we're big fans of that. And then dinner, usually on the weekends, it's either burgers or pizza. <laughs> so that's that's where the fun carbs come in. And yeah, that's and then usually some chocolate interspersed throughout the day here and there. That's that's usually a refeed day. Sounds delicious to me. Um, so next, the next question here from Jules is: What foods also support the mitochondria, those energy power plants within the cells? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, mitochondria, I'll, I'll tell you the biggest hack you can do based on what we've seen. The number one thing you can do to improve them 50% about eight weeks is high-intensity interval training. And again, we're not, I'm not talking about food, but as far as something that the research has shown is just incredibly impactful, that seems to be it. Most hormetic stressors will improve mitochondria, so cold, you know, again, anything. A lot of different biohacking equipment, like PEMFs will enhance mitochondria. So a lot of the things that people are doing in the biohacking sphere enhance 
mitochondria either in numbers or in strength, which again, we want both. On the food side, I would just say, again, high quality food. Again, you know, toxins, you want to avoid toxins, you know, and then to toxic chemicals will impair mitochondria versus, you know, feeding them clean nutrients will improve it. So, yeah, I mean, again, in CAPEX, we have certain things like CoQ10, I mean, BioPQQ, these are well-known nutrients. Again, if we're talking about specific nutrients for mitochondria, these are very well-researched. Yeah, so uh, again, there's not there was any specific um, food, but nutrients. Go ahead, Wade. I, I would add rebounding into that as well because it's the one way where you can train the mitochondria in every cell of the body without any impact, and it's easy to do. I, I have a rebounder right here in my office that I, when I'm in meetings and not I talking, I just bounce on it. Yeah, I want to get one of those. Well, those are great suggestions right there, and you're right. Anytime we could force adaptation, good cells get stronger. Bad cells don't adapt. So cold exposure, fasting, training, training it's, yeah, burst training, uh, high-intensity interval training. And then also magnesium, right? And you guys have a great magnesium supplement. So what is different about your magnesium supplement, and how does that relate to the mitochondria as well? Well, uh, let me share a quick story, and I'll cue Wade up. So the both Wade and I kind of burned out within the same year just through working too much and, and too much caffeine. It was a adrenal exhaustion. I'll, I'll let Wade talk a bit about that. But three different people, and I, and I do believe something I got told a long time ago, three people tell you the same thing. You can, you can believe it or, or take action on it. So three different people, including Mercola, Charles Poliquin, and another guy that's not well known, all shared that, listen, if you megadose on magnesiums, and you megadose on essential fatty acids, you can repair the nervous system, which I recognized was the problem. And, you know, there's a feeling when your nervous system is getting worn out, you know, I call it being frazzled and wired and tired is something people might have heard or felt or feeling right now <laughs> as you're listening. And that's kind of where we were at. And it's not a good feeling. You know, you're, you're, you're trapped in fight, flight or freeze. Your attention span drops. Your you just, you just become hair trigger, reactive. I mean, it's just a long list of negative things. So we started loading with magnesiums. And when we looked at the research, you see that different magnesiums impact different parts of the body. So what we started doing is taking four or five different kinds of mag, and we started loading. We started loading the dose. We went from a gram to two grams. I think we both peak around five grams of magnesium a day, which is a very high dose. And within six to eight weeks, I mean, I remember the feeling where I'm like, I'm not in fight, flight, or freeze anymore. I'm, I'm in Zen baseline. Like, doesn't matter what's happening. I was just in parasympathetic mode and felt relaxed and calm. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's what the difference is between magnesium deficient and magnesium optimized. So then we started looking at how can we build the best magnesium because uh, our, our philosophy is either best in class or first in class. So we knew we wanted a variety of mags, which we did, but there's, a, there's two more things. One, we added cofactors, and two, we added monoatomics, which is essentially a cofactor. And the monoatomics are trace minerals, then usually in the platinum groups, which they make the cell work better. Again, we were talking about biopathways or the biopathways of magnesium. These trace minerals, these monoatomics, and we tested with or without, 
impact the absorption and then the conversion that happens with different things, right? Because magnesium is involved in the conversion and the creation of serotonin as an example, which then converts to melatonin. And that's why the magnesium, like an hour before bed, has been magical for myself and a lot of other people, right? It's two, three caps an hour before bed and man, you, you know, the sleep latency just drops. And usually a lot of people have recorded their best oral ring scores ever after they start taking mag breakthroughs. So that's, that's my take on it. But Wade, go ahead. Yeah. So again, kudos to Charles for kind of, that was said was one of his go-to secrets for Olympic athletes. And, you know, he coached 27 gold medals in 27 different sports to give you an example and the who's who of that. And he said that magnesium and what a lot of people don't understand is why do you have all these different eights, as they say, right. you know, aspartate, citrate, listen, what's the difference? And really it has to do with how it bonds and how it bonds to the magnesium is going to determine where it's uptaken by the body. And the thing is, is nobody had done this because there was a lot of developmental issues. When you start and run all these magnesiums through a nozzle, it clogs it up. Then a lot of people use chemical excipients for the flow rate. So we, and we have a strict policy. We don't put any garbage inside of our products. So we had to overcome those challenges, the bonding challenges, the sourcing challenges, the creations and then the capsules. We had to fix that because the capsules were breaking because you had all these different sizes of magnesiums in a capsule, which don't go in. So it was a big process to overcome. And we had to leverage, a, you know, we had to go on a big hunt to do it, but it was worth the while and the, and the results speak for itself. And so uh, it transformed my life. I was in a severe level of burnout myself, and I've well documented in other podcasts and things like that. You don't want to be in that place. And it just changed my life. I mean, magnesium really changed my life. I couldn't drink caffeine for a year. I loaded up on the dosage. I went to that high dosage. Um, I have a bucket theory of nutrition, which is based on orthomolecular nutrition pr principles developed by Dr. Abram Hoffer, Linus Pauling, and uh, Dr. David Hawkins. They wrote that book in the 70s, treating all sorts of diseases with, you know, super levels, super physiological levels of nutrients. So I have that on the course and people can get that when they, you know, order our products or whatever, go to our site. They can read that and understand the principles and start running their own experiments. And we encourage people, if you want to get the maximum out of magnesium, like we did, go to the maximal dose that you can tolerate and you'll tell, you'll get the runs. So you do divided dosages throughout the day, like maybe a half to, you know, three quarters of a gram in divided dosages of three times, maybe four times or five times or six times, whatever it takes to get to your maximum dosage. When you get the runs, go back a half gram, stay at that half gram, lower dose, whatever that is, two, three, four, five grams. Stay on that till you get the runs again and then titrate down till you get your optimal dosage. And then uh, you can just maintain your levels uh, from that point forward and you get to feel what it's like to have a full bucket. Mm, I love that. I, I use your magnesium and I use the Capex. I, uh, those are my two go-to of your products. Uh, and you have a whole bunch of great products there. Uh, Kira wants to know, uh, just to pick up where you just left off, which ones in your formula do, or in general, are which for which parts of the body? Yeah, we got magnesium chelate, magnesium citrate, magnesium bisglycinate, magnesium malate, we have, uh, let me know we got here, magnesium orotate, and we've got magnesium aspartate uh, inside that formulation as it stands. However, we are always looking to improvement, and there may be some announcements coming in the new year. Exciting. Cliffhanger. Well, all right, well, gentlemen, y'all are amazing. I appreciate you coming back, Wade. I love the conversation with you, Matt. 
You two are game changers in the nutrition space. I can't wait to read the new book coming out. I'm going to put a link by optimizers.com for those listening and not watching on YouTube. Keto camp is the coupon code, but I want to thank both of you. Let's do round three in 2021. And let's just keep collaborating and educating the, the world together. Look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks for having us thank and you. keep up the great work. Well, I told you this was going to be a masterclass on the digestive system. It was so deep and dense with information that you're going to have to listen to this a few times. Go watch the video interview on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash keto camp. And hey, forward this episode to a friend. Text it to somebody right now who you believe could get a lot from a conversation like this. Go check out Bioptimizers. They make incredible products. I've been using them for months now, especially if you're doing keto. You got to get the Capex. And if you're doing the carnivore diet, I recommend taking the Masszymes along with their magnesium, which is terrific. But they have a whole host of products. And you can find that over at bioptimizers.com slash ketocamp. The coupon code we have for ketocamp podcast listeners is ketocamp. Let me spell that out for you. So bioptimizers is spelled B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash ketocamp. Camp is spelled with a K. And the coupon code is KETOCAMP. You could also just simply go to the notes down below on your phone and hit that link and use that coupon code you're going to see listed in the notes of this podcast. I want to encourage you to leave the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, take a screenshot, email that to support at ketocamp.com with your shipping address in the United States, and we will send you a gift as a thank you for doing so. Just a reminder of the Keto Camp membership where you can get access to videos, a private Facebook group, exclusive live stream Q&A with me, downloadables, a monthly newsletter with Keto Biohacks, and so much more. You can get access to all of this for just a monthly payment, one monthly payment of $5. Cancel anytime. Head to startketocamp.com to get access to this immediately. We'll also put a link in the notes. Start ketocamp.com. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.